if you're trying to penetrate any market with a new product, the middlemen are very, very critical. You cannot underrate them. You cannot overlook them. These guys can, they have control and they often have significant influence. So let me give you an example of how influential middlemen can be. If you, if you have a car, if you drive a car, it's very likely you've had issues with spare parts before. Now, the spare parts business is a global multi-billion dollar business. The market for spare parts and spare parts range from everything from spark plugs to your tire to all those rubber tubes in there, all of it. Now, think of how you buy spare parts. The average person doesn't go to the market and buy spare parts by themselves. Guess what they do? They usually talk to a middleman and that middleman is usually the mechanic. The mechanic is the middleman. The mechanic is the guy who fixes your car. So the mechanic is usually the person who decides which spare parts to buy. And the reason is, the reason why we respect the opinion of the mechanic is that for most people, we believe the, the mechanic is more knowledgeable and more experienced than we are when it comes to spare parts. So when it, when it comes to the spare parts business, the mechanics and the dealers are very, very influential. If you, if you have a new product in the market, in the spare parts market, it's almost impossible to sell it directly to the customer. Every big thing starts small. It's a natural law. Every big multinational corporation was once a small business. Welcome to the Small Starter Business Podcast, a unique podcast for practical tips and advice to help you start grow or turn around your business. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Small Starter Business Podcast. I am your host as usual, John Paul Iwoha. Today's episode promises to be interesting because it concerns a familiar problem, uh, an issue that entrepreneurs usually face when they're about to start a business or even after they've started a business and they're trying to grow the business. What am I talking about? I'm talking about how to find new customers for a new product or how to penetrate a market with a new product, right? So the thing is, it's, it's much harder to sell when nobody knows you. You know, when we have all these great ideas about a revolutionary product or an innovative product or a product that doesn't yet exist, that, that is, is supposed to fascinate a lot of people, fascinate the market and make you a lot of money. That's usually how we think, you know, before we are hit with reality. We have all this um, optimism. We're very positive. We think that the product can sell. And then all of a sudden, it's time for, for, for people to buy and nobody's showing up. So some people have the warped idea that if you have a good product, if you have a fantastic product, customers are going to find you. Customers are going to beat a path to your door, right? It's not entirely true. In fact, it is unlikely to happen that way, right? Because you have a fantastic product doesn't mean that customers are going to find you. In fact, what really happens in reality is that there are many businesses, there are many smart entrepreneurs who have great products, who have fascinating products, who have revolutionary products. But guess what? Nobody knows about them. They are like the world's best kept secrets. They, what they offer is fantastic. What they offer is far better, you know, than anything that exists currently on the market. But the big problem is 
nobody knows about these products. And guess what? If nobody knows about you, nobody's going to buy from you. It's simple. That is the harsh reality. And it is totally different from the assumption that um, an entrepreneur would typically have when they have a business idea. They think that if you have a fantastic idea, people are going to find them. Customers are going to find them. Unfortunately, that's not always how it happens in real life. So the truth is, it's much harder to sell when nobody knows you, right? And it's also harder to stand out in the market when there are many competitors. If you're the new guy, it's, it's difficult for you to stand out because people don't know you. They're not familiar with your product, with your services. You haven't earned their loyalty or their attention. They, 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 they don't know if you have any credibility and stuff like that. So it's very difficult when you're the new guy or when you have a new product that nobody really knows, right? And then, uh, unfortunately, some people make the mistake of trying to target everybody. So you have a new product out there, and then the thing you start to do is you start to, you, you start to talk to everybody, your friends, your family, you know, people you know, you're just targeting everybody. Now, unfortunately, everybody is not your customer. It all depends on what you're selling. If you're selling water or commodities or um, consumer goods, you know, everyday consumer goods like toothbrushes, right? You know, even at that, everybody's not going to buy your random toothbrush, right? right? So it's a common mistake that people make where they think that they can target everybody and try to make um, everybody their customer. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen that way. So having, having said these things I've just said, right? How do you find new customers and penetrate a market with a new product when nobody knows you? So, as you know, it's customary on the Small Starter Business Podcast to ask the hard questions and try to give you some insights into some of the big challenges and obstacles that entrepreneurs face on a day-to-day -day basis. And this is a very common one. You have put in all your um, excitement into launching this business. You got a solid office. You have paid for You've paid for a, a designer to design your website. Your website is live. You know, you've designed an app. All those glitzy things are now live, right? But then how do you find customers? So that is the important question I want to address with this episode. So there are five key questions, you know, that more or less underlie uh, five specific strategies that would help you find customers for your new product or find customers in a new market or penetrate any market with a new product, right? Now, there are five important questions you need to find answers for. And until you find the answers, you're always going to struggle with your new product. So I need you to pay very close attention to the things I'm going to be saying in this episode. Now, the first question you need to ask when you have a new product and you're looking for customers is, who will benefit from this product? And by benefit, I actually mean either of three things, right? Who has the problem your product can solve or who needs your product or who wants your product? Those are the three things that who has a problem your product can solve, who has a need your product can meet, who has a desire or a want that your product can meet. Now, the reason why this question is very fundamental is that your friends may buy your new product out of courtesy because they want to encourage you because they love you, right? Your brother, your sister, your parents can buy right? But guess what? If they don't really need that product, if it doesn't really solve a problem for them, if it's not something that fits into a desire they have, all those complimentary copies they buy from you 
will just fizzle out. They will just buy the first time and they may not come back. How you know a real customer is that they come back to buy because that product is relevant to them. So don't be carried away by some people throw a, a party to launch the business. There's nothing wrong with that. And then your friends come around and then they make their the first orders and you think you're in business. Most times that can be a distraction. They may not be your real customers. And that's because, like I said, your product has to meet a problem, need, or wants that a person has for that person to be your customer. So the truth is you need to find the people who really need your product. People who want your product, people who have a problem that your product can solve because those are the people who have the strongest motivation to reach for their wallets and pay you money. You know, they have a real reason. They're not doing it because you're their friend or because you're their brother. Those things are not sustainable. What is sustainable is that there is an economic motivation to buy from you. And the only way that motivation will come is if your product solves a problem that I have or it meets a need that I have or it satisfies a want that I have, right? So that is where you find your customers who will benefit from this product. Now, after you ask yourself that question and you have a new product and it's obvious that these people who will benefit from your product are not yet using your product. The, the question you then need to ask is, how are they currently meeting the need or solving the problem? So if your product can solve a problem for people and people don't know about your product, how are they currently solving the problem? Because if, if somebody has a problem, they have only about two options. They can endure the problem or ignore the problem or they can solve the problem. So how exactly are people dealing with that problem right now? How are they dealing with the need? right now? How are they dealing with that desire right now? Now, the thing is, let's imagine, for example, that your product solves a problem. Maybe it's a product that helps um, a, a company or a business save money. It's an efficiency product. So if, if a business uses your product, they can save money and make more profits. So right now, why, why are companies not using your product of course it's because you're a new product right so how exactly are they solving that problem right now so you need to find out is it that they are not aware of the problem that your product can solve or is it that they are ignoring the problem so they know about the problem but it's not it's not consequential to them so they are ignoring the problem or they are just trying to endure the problem right so if they are ignoring the problem you need to watch out if your product solves a problem that can be ignored then it may not really be it may not be a compelling proposition because if i can ignore the problem why will i spend money on the problem if i can ignore the problem it's because the the problem is not is not costing me anything so why will i pay something to solve that problem now so it's either you come and let me know that you know this problem i'm ignoring is actually much more expensive than i than i think it is right or something but bottom line is if your product solves a problem that can be ignored, then it's, it really doesn't matter. People are unlikely to spend money on, on a problem that can be ignored. But if they are already using another product or another service to solve the problem, then you start to see who your competition is. So, for example, if you are going to, if you are going to approach uh, such a company as a potential customer and say, you know, I see you have this problem. I see you're using this product to solve it. I think you, you will get more value by using my product, this new product. So the question is, why would they switch from their product? From the, why would they switch from the current solution they are using to your own solution? So that's a sales issue. But, but the bottom line is, 
the place you should find your customers will lie in those people who have a problem or a need or a want that your product can meet, right? Now, that's the first question you need to answer. Who will benefit from the product? The second question you need to, have, you need to find an answer for is who already buys something similar to your product, right? Who already buys something similar to your product? Now, sometimes I come across people who say, I have this bright idea for a new product. There's nothing like it on the market. Nobody has created anything like it. Nobody knows it, right? So this product is very unique. I think in the previous episode, I talked about why uniqueness can be a double-edged sword. So uniqueness is not 100% uh, favorable to you. Sometimes uniqueness can be a weakness. And what I mean is this. When it comes to finding customers or selling things to people, familiarity is your friend. When things are familiar, human beings are much more agreeable to familiar things. But when something is not familiar, people tend to be defensive. They tend to look at it as a risky proposition. Sometimes they tend to be afraid. So most people are afraid of things they don't know or understand. So that's why familiarity is your friend. And the reason is, People who already buy, people who already buy, maybe not, they are not buying from you, but they are buying something similar to what you have. People who already buy are more likely to buy from you than people who have never bought. And that's because people who have never bought, they have this thing called resistance. And resistance can be difficult to break down because they are afraid. They haven't tried this thing before. They are afraid of spending money and not getting value in return. So people who have never spent money on something that looks like what you're selling, they are going to be tougher sales. But somebody who is already buying something similar to what you sell, even though they are currently buying from your competitors, that person is easier to sell to than somebody who has never bought before, right? So that's why I said familiarity is your friend. And the reason is this. When somebody is already familiar to a product that looks like yours, something that is similar to yours, it's easy to relate with what you are selling. You know, it's not as difficult as, you know, selling to them than, you know, somebody who hasn't bought before. Because the, the level of explanation you need is going to be far less. The kinds of basic questions and complex questions you're going to be asking will be far less because they have a level of familiarity with what you're selling. But somebody who has never bought before, you know, they need time to think about it. You have to think about the risk, you know. They, you have to think about credibility. You have to think about trust. Very, very important, right? Not just trusting you as a company, but trust in what your product can, can deliver. So when it comes to targeting people who already buy something similar to your product, you need to find a compelling reason why they should switch or upgrade to your product. So you find people who are already buying something similar to what you have. It's not exactly what you have, but it's similar. Maybe what they're using solves the same problem or meets the same need or satisfies the same want. So, for example, let's say you are in agribusiness and you've come, into a you've come into the market with a new type of animal feed. Animal feed for fish and for poultry. That's for chicken and turkeys, right? So you have a new product in the market and your product is enhanced. You know, the, the level of nutrients in it, it's very nutritional. And any farmer who uses your feed will see a higher yield in the, the meat and the eggs and the weight of the animals that they produce, right? So 
what I mean in this case is clearly the, your product is a new product. But then there are farmers already in the market who are using other products. So they are using other products that are similar to what you sell. You sell animal feed. You're not the only person who has animal feed. The only difference is your animal feed is new and is different. But it's similar to what's, what's already on the market. So all you have to do is who is already buying something similar to yours? You approach the farmers who already use animal feed. And you have to tell them why they need to switch to your feed. Is it that your feed is more affordable? Is it that your feed is higher quality and gives greater value for money? Is it that your feed lasts longer? Is it that your feed gives a certain level of benefit that most other feeds on the market do not give? Right. So you need to tell them why they should they should leave the current products they are using and switch to your product. So is your product an upgrade, a downgrade or a switch? You need to tell them why they need to switch, because the truth is, if what you're selling is. Is the same as what they are already using, then why should they buy from you? Why should they buy from you? There's no point buying from you. And don't forget that these guys are, are already have a habit. And human habits can be difficult to break. They're already used to the people they buy from. They already have relationships with the supplier who supplies them the feed. So it's not that easy to break that relationship and switch over to you. But people will break the relationship if you give them a compelling reason why they should switch. So that's exactly um, where it is. So instead of looking for new customers or targeting everybody, this, this second question is about who already buys something similar to your product. And then you go and target them. And when you target them, the case you need to make is why they should use your product and not the products that they are currently using. You need to show how you are different. You need to sell your unique value proposition. Because the truth is, if you are not so different from what they currently use, then there's no point switching to you, right? There's no point. Now, the third um, strategy, which more or less is underpinned by, by question, is what other products complement yours? So you're in the market, you have a new product, right? Most people, most people don't know about you. They don't know about your product. But your product is unique, is different. It's really good, right? It provides value for money. So one other way you can do it is you find complementary products. And what are complementary products? To explain it in a way you really understand. Uh, complementary products are products that people would use before they use your product or while they are using your product or after they use your product. Those are complementary products or services. Now, let me explain. Let's say you've come into the market with a new brand of paint. You've come into the market with a new brand of paint. Your paint is different. It has qualities that most other paints in the market do not have. And by paint, I mean paints for painting houses and homes and buildings, right? So you have a new kind of paint. It's different and it's better than most of the other paints on the market. But the problem is most people don't know about your paint. So in the area of complementary products, what am I talking about? So what would somebody use before they, before they think of buying paints? Just think about it. What will somebody use before they think of buying paint? One thing they will do is, before they build a house, they will talk to an architect, right? An architect is going to design that house. So ar architectural services is a complementary product to what you sell. Even though you sell paints, anybody who is an architect is a, provides a complementary service to what you do. 
even though you are not direct competitors, because before a person would 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 decide to paint their house, they have to work with an architect to design the house. They have to work with a project engineer, um, you know, to be, actually build the house before you then paint the house. So what this would mean is, what if you partner with architectural firms and say, you know, we have an exclusive partnership. I have this new paint on the market. Any of your clients who uses my paint, you get a 5% commission, right? What this does is, from the moment the architect gets a client, they start to pitch to the client about your paint. They tell the client, you know, I have this really good guy. Great, great product, great paint. It's a very new paint. It has these qualities, you know, stuff like that. So the architect ends up selling your product for you, even though the customer has not got to the point where they will need paint. And the only reason why this is happening is that the architect offers a complementary service to your product, right? So this is an example of a product or service that a potential customer will use before they even think of using your own product. So this is the before. Let me give you another example. In this case, there are products that a customer will use while they are using your product. So they are likely going to use them together. It's like a bread and butter situation. So let's, let's imagine you sell butter. And by butter, I mean industrial butter for bakeries, for bakeries that produce bread and pastries and stuff like that, right? Now, when a customer needs to use butter, let's say it's a bakery business that needs to buy butter. What other products would they likely use with the butter? They will likely use flour. They will use baking soda. They will use sugar and a couple of other stuff. But let's even say flour because flour is the main ingredient for baking bread and, and other stuff. What this then means is if you find or structure or develop a potential partnership with the, the people who deal in flour and let them know, you know, while you're selling this flour, if you can send customers my way, you will get a 5% commission. And now all of a sudden, this person who sells flour has an incentive and a strong motivation to send customers to you, to recommend customers to you, because there is a reason for them to, because they are a complementary product. And the reason is, if a customer is buying flour, it's likely they will want to buy butter. Because you need butter to make bread and cakes and all those pastries, right? So the moment a customer is buying flour, they already have butter on their list. But then what you have done now is that the person who is selling the flour would be chipping it to the customer to say, you know, if you need to buy butter, I know this really good butter, very new on the market, excellent taste, excellent quality. I recommend you buy it from me. You, you buy it from, from, from this guy, right? So that's an example of a complementary product that goes with your product, but then you are not competing. The person who sells flour is in a different business. You sell butter, you're in a different business. You guys are not direct competition, but you're complementary. And that's because anybody who is buying flour very likely has butter on their list. So that's an example of a complementary product that um, your potential customers, the customers you're looking for, will likely use while they are using your product. Let's now look at another example of a complementary product that customers may use after they use your product. So remember what we're doing here. We're looking for those products and services that the potential customers you're looking for will likely use with your product. So let's, let's look at, at, at an example of um, a product that a customer will use after they use your product. So let's imagine you sell generators, power generators, backup generators, right? What will a customer use after 
they buy your product. After they buy a generator, what would they use? They will likely need to buy fuel. They will likely need to buy diesel to power the generator. So let's imagine you have you are a new agent, a new representative for a major generator brand in your country, right? So it's a new generator brand. It's a new product on the market, right? And you're trying to penetrate the market. Now, you will notice that there are these people who supply diesel to people who have generators. And then anybody who has generators is likely thinking of replacing the generator, buying a better generator, you know, something. You need to make them a deal. Can they trade in their old generator for your own, for the new generators that you sell or something? But bottom line is, if you follow the people who sell diesel, they will lead you to the people who have generators. And those people who have generators are your potential customers. So you see exactly what's going on here. We are looking for the touch points. We're looking for those people. We're, lo we're looking at how put your potential customers use your products. We're looking at the products they use before they, they think of your products, before using your products. We're looking at the products that they use while they are using your products. And we're looking at products that they use after they use your products, the kind of thing. So these are the kinds of things you're looking for. What other products complement yours? So, and the other thing you will notice is these kinds of people that you're looking at, like the examples I give you, the architects, right? Um, the person who sells flour and then the people who sell diesel. Because they are not your direct competition, you're going to get a lot of interesting market information from these people. They are not going to be as cagey as your direct competitors. If you approach your direct competitors, they are usually cagey about information. They are usually unwilling to share information with you because they think you will use it against them or use it to best them, right? And that's because you guys are direct com competitors. But when you are talking to people who sell complementary products, and you know you are not in direct competition with these people, so they don't feel they don't feel cagey, they don't feel threatened, they don't feel it's risky to share information with you. They are going to feel comfortable sharing with you because you guys are not in the same business. You guys you complement yourself, right? So so that's an important thing that um, I want you to to keep in mind. Now so far we've covered three questions, and I just want to run through them. The first question is who will benefit from the product. The second question is who already buys something similar to your product? The third question is what other products complement your new products, right? And then now the fourth question is who can pay for the product? What makes a customer? A customer is somebody who needs what you sell, either because it can solve a problem for them or because they need it or because they want it. But that's not all. Needing your product is not enough. Wanting your product is not enough. The other thing a customer needs to have before they can really be your customer is the ability to pay for that stuff, right? Anybody who comes to you and says, I love your product. It's amazing. It, it, it really, really solves my problem. It meets my needs, right? But I don't have money to pay for it. That person is not your customer. That person is just a fan, right? But it's not a customer. A customer, what makes a customer different is they can back up their desire for your product with an ability to pay. So it doesn't make any difference if you find people who need your product, they tell you glowing things about your product, they love your product, but then they cannot afford it. That can be a problem because those people are not customers. The only thing that a business needs to survive most times is inflow, sales. Sales is, sales is the most dependable way for money to keep flowing into a business. And sales can only come from customers, people who want your products, who need your products, 
and back it up with an ability to pay. So one way, one other way you can, you know, more or less find potential customers in a market is to target those people who are less price sensitive, right? People who are people who are not price sensitive are willing to take a risk. And that's because they are not intimidated by the price of your product. You know, it's not they're not going to go they're not going to go bankrupt if they use your product. So essentially, they can take the risk. They are willing to take the risk because the price of your product, you know, is not is not threatening. They are not sensitive to it. So people who are less price sensitive are willing to take a chance because they can afford it, right? They they go ahead and they buy it. So they are more likely to be customers. The people who are who can be difficult are people who have to really, really think about buying it, you know? And sometimes you can't blame them, especially if what you sell, you know, comes at a considerable price. It's not something that the person can just write you a check, right? They have to really think about it. And when people think about it or tell you, you know, get back to me later or come back later, let me think about it, let me run it through my team, all of a sudden you can you can lose those people to one of the biggest enemies you can ever have, which is procrastination. Or they end up focusing on other things and they forget about you, right? So the people who can afford to pay for your product, you need to prioritize them. Because those people give you less stress. They are easier to sell to. They don't ask, they don't, they don't keep you running through hoops. You know, they keep delaying and procrastinating and pushing you forward and then pushing you backward. They are difficult to sell to, right? But in the beginning, when you need the sales, targeting the price, targeting those people who are not price sensitive can be a major um, advantage. Another way it can be an advantage is if you have a new product and you're trying to come into a, a very competitive market or a crowded market, one way you can stand out is to position your product as a premium product. Because if everybody in the market is competing for the same thing, it can be very difficult to compete in that market. And um, the, the, worst, uh, the worst situation is when you find yourself trying to please a potential customer. Don't forget, you are, you are a new person. You're a new player in the market. You're trying to please your potential customers. You're trying to be the nice guy. So you do anything to get them on your side. And one of the common mistakes people make is to compete on the basis of price. So you, you tell them, I'll give you a 25% discount. I'll give you a 50% discount. I'll give you a 60% discount because it's a new product, right? Now, if you've listened to previous, some, one of my previous episodes, right? I talked about why and how discounts can be a double-edged sword, right? Because when you compete only on price, it's a loser's game because that's the easiest thing for your competitors to copy. Your pricing is the pricing is the weakest form of competitive advantage, in my opinion, because it's the easiest thing for your for your competitors to copy. Because your competitor can can come to the customer and say, you know, why are you not buying our product? And then the, the customer says, no, this other guy is selling it to me for ninety five dollars. And then that's already information right there. That's information. Oh, and then the guy says ninety five dollars. Okay, I'll give it to you for ninety. 
So pricing is the easiest thing to copy. That's why I consider it to be one of the weakest forms of competitive advantage, right? There are other forms of competitive advantage that are not easy to copy, like the, the kind of talent you have or the uniqueness of your business model or how you run the operations of your company or your, your, your value in terms of efficiency, your strategic relationships and things like that. Those things are difficult to copy. Those are the sustainable forms of competitive advantage. But if you're trying to compete on the basis of price alone, it's a losing game. So one way to work against the whole discounting is to position yourself as a premium player to say, you know, this product is not for everybody. This product is exclusive. This product is for a certain kind of customer. This product is for a customer who considers value, considers convenience, considers the intimacy of the service that we provide. This, this product is for customers who, who value exclusivity, who value... You, so you have to find a way to justify why your product is a premium, right? It's like comparing a Rolls Royce to a Toyota, right? Your, the random person will not buy a Rolls Royce. The random person will not buy it, right? But the random person, you know, may buy a Toyota. And Toyota competes with Honda, yeah, Mitsubishi, and the rest of them. That's, they compete, you know, against themselves. But Rolls-Royce is in a class of its own, right? So that can be one way you can position yourself when you're a new player in the market. You can make yourself the premium option. You can make yourself the exclusive option. You can make yourself the high-end option. So that's, that's one thing you can do. And now let's talk about the fifth question you, can, you, you need to ask as you're trying to penetrate a market with a new product um, or you're trying to get new customers for a new product. Now, this one is very interesting, so I need you to pay attention. And the question is, who are the middlemen who control or influence the market? Now, the thing is, in some markets, middlemen are the important bridge between producers and buyers. So in many markets, the person who produces doesn't sell directly to the person who consumes. Usually, they go through middlemen. So think about how you buy the things you use every day. Think about your, tooth, your, your, your toothpaste. The toothpaste you used this morning, where did you buy it from? It's likely you bought it from a middleman. You didn't buy it directly from the factory. You bought it from the middleman, right? Think about the food you've eaten today. Where did you buy the food? It's likely you bought it from a middleman. Either you bought it from a restaurant or you bought the raw ingredients in the market. You bought it from a middleman. Most industries are structured on the basis of middlemen. So middlemen are the ones who get the products from the manufacturer or the producer and sell it to the end user, the person who consumes it, you know, you and I. So if you're trying to penetrate any market with a new product, the middlemen are very, very critical. You cannot underrate them. You cannot overlook them. These guys can, they have control and they often have significant influence. So let me give you an example of how influential middlemen can be. If you, if you have a car, if you drive a car, it's very likely you've had issues with spare parts before. Maybe you, you, the, the, there was a time you needed to change a tire or you needed to change something in your engine or something broke down, you needed to change something. Essentially, it's very likely that if you drive a car, you've had something to do with spare parts. Now, the spare parts business is a global multi-billion dollar business. The market for spare parts. And spare parts range from everything from spark plugs to your tire, 
to all those rubber tubes in there, all of it. Now, think of how you buy spare parts. The average person doesn't go to the market and buy spare parts by themselves. Guess what they do? They usually talk to a middleman. And that middleman is usually the mechanic. The mechanic is the middleman. The mechanic is the guy who fixes your car. So what most people do is, rather than go buy the spare parts and give to the mechanic, and then if, if it doesn't work, the mechanic blames you, what most people do is, they, they make the mechanic responsible for buying the spare parts. So the mechanic is usually the person who decides which spare parts to buy. And the reason is, the reason why we respect the opinion of the mechanic is that for most people, we believe the, the mechanic is more knowledgeable and more experienced than we are when it comes to spare parts. So when it, when it comes to the spare parts business, the mechanics and the dealers are very, very influential. If you, if you have a new product in the market, in the spare parts market, it's almost impossible to sell it directly to the customer. It's almost impossible, you know, except you're selling tires or some of, or any of all those uh, bigger things. But if you're going for most of the spare parts, people rely on their mechanics. So that's why, that's what makes the mechanics very influential. And then when the mechanics go to buy, the mechanics trust the um, opinions of the dealers, so it's the dealers who tell the mechanic, you know, there's this new product on the market. It's actually better than that other one you buy. I think you should buy this one. So the customer, the owner of the car trusts the mechanic. The mechanic trusts the dealer. So at the end of the day, the dealers are the ones that make the markets in the spare parts business. They're the ones who decide which products will be successful and which products will not move. So you need to pay attention, you need to understand the industry you're getting into and identify the middlemen who are involved. Sometimes these middlemen can be easily overlooked, like I mentioned. So you, you use the, the situation of the mechanic. You look at your average mechanic. Maybe you are somebody who works in a bank, in some big office somewhere. You go to the office in a tie and a suit and all that. And then you see the mechanic the way they are. Sometimes it's easy to just overlook those guys, but they are literally the ones who influence how spare parts are used by end users. And you cannot overlook them. Now, the, 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 the reason why middlemen are very important is that they have access to a lot of information. They have access to a lot of, they understand the markets. They know the products that are available. They know which ones are moving. They know which ones are in demand. They know the ones people are asking for. They know the ones people are complaining about. So they have access to interesting information that you can leverage, these middlemen. They also have more access. They have access to, sometimes they have access to the manufacturers. They, have, they also have access to the end users. So it's like they are the ones who facilitate the handshake. They are talking to, to this side and they are talking to the other side. So they have more access than somebody like you who's just coming into the market with a new product. So these guys can introduce you to the interesting people who can make, you, who can make your products actually penetrate the market. They also have more influence. Like the example I give you about the mechanic. People tend to trust their judgment. People tend to rely on them. So they have... They have um, influence and they can give you some interesting ideas around marketing and how to move your products and get it into the market. But, you know, to, to, since we're talking, we're, we're business people, right? We're business people. You, if you're going to work with middlemen, right, you have to make it worth their while. So what's in it for them? 
what's in it for them. So that's that's why structuring deals is very important. If, for example, you 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 show up in the market and you see that a certain uh, you see that the middlemen are, are influential, right? How do you encourage and motivate the middleman to focus on your product and not your competitor's product? You need to make them a deal. Maybe you offer them some commission or something. You know, you need to make it. You need to make it worth their while. They they need to see that there's something in it for them if they choose to promote your product and not the other product, right? So it's very very um, important that you pay attention to, to to middlemen. So at this point in the episode, let's recap. In this episode, I talked about the challenge of finding new customers for a new product, the challenge of penetrating the market with a new product. It's difficult to sell to people when nobody knows who you are, when nobody trusts you. So how do you go about, um, you know, act- actualizing the dreams you have for that product? And like I mentioned, many entrepreneurs are very, can be very unrealistic when they are at the idea stage. They tend to think that if they have a good product, if they have a fantastic product, that the market will come to them, that the customers will come to them. In reality, my friend, it's not, that's not really how it happens. In fact, the contrary, the contrary is the reality. The, the reality, you actually have to go to the market and give, tell, convince people, make a compelling case for why people should actually buy what you have to offer. And that's why in the world today, the worst, the worst thing you can ever find is a great product, a fantastic product, a product that has merits, has potential, is better quality, more efficient, more convenient, more affordable than most of the options on the market. But the big problem is most people don't know about this product. They don't know about the product. And guess what? If people don't know about your product, they will not buy from you. It's simple logic. And if people don't buy from you, you're not going to make sales. And guess what? If you don't make sales, there won't be money coming into your business. And then if there's no money coming into your business, it's just a matter of time before you close down. It's that simple. It's just that simple. So that's the premise on which I I started this episode. And I shared with you five specific questions you need to have answers for if you are serious about successfully penetrating a market with a new product or a new service. The first question is who will benefit from the product? Who has the problem? Who has the need? Who has the desire that your product can meet? Those are the people who have the economic incentive to open their wallets and buy from you. Forget about the initial excitement on which your friends and family buy from you. Many of those people who buy from you, who are around you, buy it out of courtesy. They are buying it to support you. It's just an initial push, but it's not sustainable. The only sustainable way to keep making sales is to find your real customers. And your real customers are those people who have a problem, a need, or a want that your product can meet. And then the second question I, I, you need to have an answer for is, who currently buys something similar to your product? And remember, I mentioned that familiarity is your friend. People who buy something similar are more likely to buy from you than people who have never bought before. You know, when somebody has not bought anything before, the resistance is higher. Their perception of risk is higher. So it's better for you to focus your attention on those people who are buying from your competitors or those people who are buying something similar to what you have. Those ones are easier to convert. They already have the context. They already have the basic understanding. They are easier to sell to. They are going to ask you much more relevant questions. And they, will not per- they are likely to perceive you as a high risk 
compared to people who have never really bought that thing before? And then the third question you need to have an answer for is, what other products complement your product? And by complementary, I use some interesting examples to tell you that no product is used in isolation. There are products that a customer will likely use before they use your product. And I gave you the example with the paint, uh, the paint thing. I said, imagine you sell paint. What kind of person buys paint? The person who buys paint is somebody who has built a house and they're ready to paint the house. So what will the person use before they think of buying paint? They will need to hire an architect to, to design the building. They will need to work with an engineer to actually build the structure before they think of paint. So that means you have two potential complements to, to work with. You can start partnering with architectural firms or architects, or you can start partnering with building engineers. Because the thing is, if, if there's something in it for them, they have a reason to promote you. And that's because anybody who is talking to an architect or talking to a building engineer very likely will soon need paint. That's exactly how it works. And then I told you that there are other complementary products that your, the customers you're looking for will likely use while they are using your products. And I use the bakery example. Imagine you sell butter, a new kind of butter for bakeries. Bakeries that bake bread, cakes, and pastries and stuff like that. What other product is going to be used when a customer is using your product? Likely flour, likely sugar, and all the other things for baking. So you start talking to all those other people because they're not direct competitors, right? And that's where you can align. And I also give the example of products that can be used after. So this is like, like I said, no product is used in isolation. You need to start looking for the complements. And that is where you will be. That is where you will find the strategic partners. And then the fourth question is, who can pay for the product? There are two things that make a customer. A customer will benefit from using your product because they have a problem, need, or want that your product can meet. That's the first criterion. The second criterion is that a customer has the ability to pay. So what do you call a person who loves your product, likes your product, but doesn't have money for the product? That person is a fan. And fans are good. They have marketing value. They, can, they have the potential to help you find real customers. But the thing is, until a fan pays money, they cannot support your business financially. And if we're going to prioritize, we need to prioritize your customers over your fans because it's your customers that keep your business alive. The fans are good, but it's the customers that keep your business alive. They are the ones who actually pay the money that runs the business. So you need to find who can pay for the product. And then the fifth question you need to ask is, who are the middlemen who control or influence the market? In some markets, middlemen are very powerful. They might not look like it, they may act like they are very modest. They may look like they don't get it, but these guys can be very powerful. And I give you the example of the mechanic. You, you know, mechanics are very influential in the multi-billion dollar spare parts industry. Why? Because the people who actually use the spare parts depend on the mechanic's advice, and they actually depend on the mechanic to actually go choose the spare parts and buy the spare parts. That's a lot of influence. That's a lot of influence. So, if you work, and I, I also told you that most of the products you use is unlikely you bought it from the producer. Most of the things we use on the consumer level, we buy from middlemen. Those middlemen may be supermarkets, they might be street vendors, they might be a supplier, distributor, but they are all middlemen, right? So if you have a new product on the market, you need to go seek out these middlemen. So at this point in the episode, let's talk about our, our partner, Quesa. 
Quasar, K-U-U-E-Z-A, is doing really interesting stuff for small and medium-sized businesses on the African continent. It can be very limiting when you have a new, when you have an interesting product, but you are limited by your location. Maybe you are from a small country, or maybe you've exhausted the potential in your country, and you're looking for opportunities to sell your products in other markets. Now, the possibility of selling your products in other markets can come with several interesting benefits. One is you can earn in foreign exchange because you are now exporting. Another is that you can charge higher prices because the price you currently charge in your country may seem high. But the moment you start charging in US dollars or euros or some other currency, you then see that you, need, you can charge much higher. And then it gives you the opportunity to sell more, to grow your revenue, right? That's exactly what Quesa is doing for businesses across the African continent. Quesa has opened the door to cross-border trade. So you now have entrepreneurs in one African country who can sell to customers in another African country. We're seeing people sell products from Ghana to customers in Kenya. We're seeing customers in Nigeria. We're seeing merchants in Nigeria sell products to their customers in South Africa. And they're also selling to customers in the US and in Europe and in Canada. So this is really exciting stuff. You need to go check out Quesa if you sell products and if you're looking for interesting products to more or less browse and, and look at what is available. So if you're a merchant, if you're a small or mid-sized business and you're interested in cross-border trade, either selling to other African countries or to countries outside of Africa, go to the Play Store or the App Store and download the Quesa app. It's called Quesa Seller app. So if you're a merchant, there are two different apps. If you're a merchant, if you sell products, interesting products, download the Quesa Seller app. Quesa is K-U-U-E-Z-A. And if you're looking to explore the range of interesting products that merchants have on Quesa, you can download the Quesa User app. It's a separate app. So at this time in the episode, there are four things I need you to consider. The first is to join the Insiders program. The interesting thing is the topics we cover on the podcast are inspired by questions and challenges from members within the community. So I have a very interesting job. In fact, I think I have the most interesting job in the world. And that's because I get to listen a lot to problems, business problems. Business problems excite me, they fascinate me, and they they stimulate me because when you're when you're so used to have been dealing with business problems now for more than a decade in several different industries. And the interesting thing there is that you, it's very fulfilling to see what happens when you unlock opportunity for somebody in their business. So, for example, we might have a member who is facing a problem with their sales or they're trying to look for strategic partners. Or, for example, the very person we were discussing this with who is trying to introduce a new product into a new market. Right. These are the kinds of conversations that we have. If you want to have a direct relationship, you have direct questions. I am always flooded with emails. So the only people I can actually respond to are our members, members in the insiders. And if you have questions, you have um, ideas you want to share, you are going through challenges that are costing you money 
wasting your time or your business is at a point where you need to get to the next level, either because you need to raise capital or you need to develop a turnaround strategy or something. You belong to the Insiders Program. And I can't wait to have you join our community of entrepreneurs who come from over 20 different countries. They are building businesses in different industries. We learn from each other, opportunities for networking and stuff like that. Check us out at smallstarter.com slash insiders. Again, it is smallstarter.com slash insiders. The second thing I need you to, to do is to tell your friends about this podcast. The insights, the knowledge, the information you get from this podcast is top rate, right? And you're not being charged for this. All you just have to do is learn and apply. So all I'm asking for in return is that you tell your friends about the Small Starter Business Podcast. They Google it, Google the Small Starter Business Podcast, and we're right up there. They can listen to all our previous episodes. Essentially, they can enrich themselves and help themselves because we live in the information age. But guess what? Information is also overwhelming. There's a lot of information these days that it just gets people to a position of analysis paralysis, right? So that's why we keep things easy for you on the Small Starter Business Podcast. We attack the issues head on. I give you practical advice you can start implementing today. This is not theoretical stuff, right? You can start implementing them today and start getting results for your business. Why is this important? You see, entrepreneurs are very important to the survival of our civilization. And they are much more important on the continent of Africa, right? You know, the only way this continent can change or improve will come from the creativity, the innovation, the passion, the energy, and the enterprise of our entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are much more efficient in solving problems. Because of the kind of passion that they have, entrepreneurs will go above and beyond. And guess what happens when you solve a problem or create a fantastic product and start to sell to customers and people love your product? Guess what you're going to do? You're going to need help. And when you need help, what do you do? You start hiring people and voila, that's exactly how jobs are created. Jobs are created because entrepreneurs need help. And I want you to need help. The only time you need help is that you build your business up to a level where you are being overwhelmed by customers. So you find out, you discover you cannot do this all by yourself. You need help. The moment you start to need help, you're going to start hiring people, take care of customer service, take care of procurement, take care of finance and admin, take care of production, manufacturing, and stuff like that. That is how jobs are created. Jobs are not created in all these conferences that these people go, go to and all these politicians they talk about and they create policy. You see, policy doesn't create jobs, right? The people who create jobs are entrepreneurs. They create jobs because they want to sell more. They create jobs because they want to serve more customers and stuff like that. And that's, those are the kinds of people I am interested in. Those are the kinds of people I serve. Those are the kinds of people I want to help. Because the moment you create more jobs, we will be solving the unemployment problem. We'll be absorbing more young people, more talented people to work and build companies on the African continent. These companies will pay salaries. Those salaries will pay school fees for families. They will pay rent. They will keep the lights on. They will allow people to go to school. They will influence education. People would people want good quality of living, you know, good water, good food, and stuff like that. Companies that are doing well will pay their taxes, you know, and things like that. So the developmental impact of entrepreneurship is vast. It's huge. And that's why I've devoted myself and my life to focusing on these kinds of people. So 
I, I get very excited when I talk about these things. So I think I've even forgotten where. So what was I saying? Uh, tell your friends about the podcast. That's exactly, you have a smart friend, somebody who's thinking about starting a business or they want to grow their business, recommend the Small Starter Business Podcast. And then the third thing I need to consider is to leave us a five-star review. A five-star review is a good pat on the back, but it also makes it possible for um, other people to find the Small Starter Business Podcast. So a five-star review is a thumbs up and it helps us get discovered by other people who want to listen to the podcast. So if you are serious about reaching your business goals, if you're serious about transforming your ideas into real action, if you are tired of talking, 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 and you're not doing anything, or if you're tired of doing and not seeing results, you are overwhelmed, you're absorbed in your business, you've done every possible thing you can. That means you need help. And where you can get that help is in the insiders. It's, that help is not just coming from me. It's also going to come from the community of entrepreneurs we have because some of the people within our community have gone through exactly the things you're going through. And you can benefit from their knowledge and experience. They can even bring experience from another industry that helps you see your problem in a different way. So that is the benefit of community. And I'm hoping that you will join us in the insiders. So check us out at um, smallstarter.com slash insiders. I look forward to seeing you in there. So um, we've come to the end of today's episode. I want to thank you very much for listening. I'm not sure exactly when this episode will be published, but at the time of recording it, we are in the last month of the year. Uh, these are exciting times. And um, all I would, the, the last thing I really want to leave you with is to, to be persistent. Don't give up on your dreams, right? And I'm not, I'm not telling you, I'm not trying to motivate you, you know, um, to not give up on your dreams. Uh, the reason I'm actually telling you this is that if you really believe in that dream, you know, it's almost impossible to give up on it because anything else you try to do, you are not going to be happy. You are not going to be happy. You will always feel unfulfilled. You will always feel like, you know, you didn't, you didn't give it your all. Right, And the worst thing you want to be is to be that old person who looks back on their lives and they see the things they could have done. They remember the things they should have done. They remember the things they would have done, but they didn't do it. So the reason why I am asking you to persist is that the worst thing you can go through in your life is regret. Regret is a patient but very wicked, very wicked tormentor, right? So do this for yourself. At least just, you know, fulfill righteousness. Give it your best shot. You have a business idea. You have a strategy you're working on. Give it your best shot. So that when regret shows up, you can, you can have something to defend yourself. You can say, I tried. I did it. At least I did. It didn't work, but I did it. I did it, but I failed. The worst thing you can do is to show up in front of regrets without anything to defend yourself. It's going to tear you to shreds. And I'm hoping for the sake of the fear of regret that you do everything you can do to make sure you fight for your dreams and for your ideas. Until the very next episode, cheers. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Small Starter Business Podcast. To take our free business courses, or join one of our signature programs 
for special entrepreneurs like you, head over to smallstarter.com to join our private community. See you inside.